This is no April Fool's joke. Our March membership campaign was so successful that we're extending it through the entire month of April. Enjoy 50% off the regular monthly or annual membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING, one word, to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a limited time offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING to receive 50% off. Thank you. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest DSR podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, joining you from beautiful, sunny, spring-like Washington, D.C. Also here at beautiful, sunny, spring-like Washington, D.C., we have the fabulous Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law School. How are you doing, Rosa? I'm very well, David. Thank you. Um, You seem very muted um, for such a lovely day. I'm sorry. I'm terrific. Thank you, David. Excellent. Now, that's the kind of insincerity we look for on this show. Let's try it here (laughs) with Ed. Um, Of course, you can never tell with the British, but... Also joining us, Ed Luce of the Financial Times here in glamorous Washington. How are you, Ed? Enchanted, I'm sure. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> Very God. nicely done, Ed. Very nicely done. Have you watched The Diplomat? I sort of gave up halfway through the first episode because I just so couldn't stupid. imagine a, 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 a charge you know, running the world quite in that fashion. <laughs> it was so stupid. Have you watched it, Rosa? No, but I read I read three quarters of Fred Kaplan's review of it in Slate, so I feel almost as if I watched. Yeah, it. I tried to watch and it, and it was a lot. took me took me a lot less time to read Fred's review than to watch it. Yeah, well, it took me not much time to watch because I turned it on and it was like, well, I'm getting ready to go to be the ambassador in Kabul, and I thought, well, we don't have an embassy in Kabul. And then she, she goes to the White House, and the president says, "I've made you ambassador to England. You leave to or the UK. You leave tonight." <laughs> and she goes, "What?" And I was like, what about getting confirmed? And then they fly her over on a private jet, which doesn't happen Whoa. with ambassadors. And then she meets her her uh, her DCM, who the White House Chief of Staff has been on the phone with, on a screen that says White House Chief of Staff. And she's like, we're sizing her up for vice president. So give her a good look. You're a kingmaker. <laughs> I've been waiting for the president to call me and just say, uh, I'm making you ambassador to the United Kingdom. I need you to get on a private plane was, tomorrow morning. And I, and I was like, okay. but And so I turned it off. And then when I posted this on Twitter that I turned it off, people said, well, I got a little further. I stopped right when her husband had to smell her armpits. There was apparently- oh, I got up to that point. In fact, I got, up, I got up to that point and then, yeah, no, it's not just her armpits. Yeah. Why are you doing that? 
Oh, I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. That's what the life of diplomacy is like. Is that? You want to be a high flyer in the life of diplomacy. You're always having, you know, you know that scene in the fish called Wanda? Yeah. Do you remember that scene? <laughs> it's well, like that. Diplomacy is a lot more like a fish called Wanda than it is like the diplomat. Let me leave it at that. Um, I would agree. Yeah. Most it's, of it's made House of Cards look like a documentary. <laughs> that is. That is the truth. Either version of it's House of It's too bad life is not like TV because, you know, any second now the phone could ring for any of us and we would be told we've been we've been eyeing you for vice president. You know, Kamala's stepping down and we need you to take her place. And we'll say, well, I'm a little busy this week, but if you insist. Yeah, well, you know, I can I was I was thinking of all the great depictions of Washington and movies because i wrote this article yesterday on biden and his age and i said you know he's old so he's not going to be like harrison ford when he fought off the terrorists in air force one or jamie fox when he fought us the terrorists in white house down and i was thinking think how often presidents have to fight off terrorists constantly in in, in hollywood movies you know yeah. constantly I mean, right right here as a professor at Georgetown Law, I fight them off two or three times a week. Well, you know who fights terrorists all the time? Corey Shockey of the American Corey Enterprise Shockey. Institute. Yeah. Yes. I hope I am better <laughs> at fighting terrorists than I am at getting the link for Deep State Radio to work. That's I'm okay. We, no, no, one, no one had to know. We, we were just talking about how bad the diplomat was, and then we we're talking about the general depiction of Washington in movies, you know. Ah, ghastly. Um, one of the worst is uh, Madam Secretary, which is so visibly recorded in New York City, not in Washington. Yeah. No, no, it's much more realistic in that Charlize Theron movie where she's the Secretary of State and then she falls for her ex-high school friend, Seth Rogen, her, her speechwriter, and then... You know, they get married and she becomes president. Yes, I agree. Also, what is it with movies made by uh, these great young male comedians who manage to land women so far out of their actual price? Actual league. Yeah, the Seth Rogen with Charlize Theron, is that what you were saying? Yeah, that's a kind of Hollywood tradition. Um, anyway, um, I, I, I could discuss this the whole time. I've, I've, uh, it's a subject that is endlessly fascinating to me. <laughs> but um, let's talk a little bit about the real world. Uh, and I'll just start with a couple of the news items from today and get your reaction to them. Uh, let me let me start with you, Ed. Xi Jinping had a conversation with Vladimir Zelensky in which. Apparently, he, you know, uh, tried to connect and listen, also said nuclear war is a bad thing. Some people said, oh, it's terrible he said that. That means he was threatening Zelensky. Other people said, oh, it's good he said that. He's against nuclear war. What was your reaction, Ed? Uh, I was very pleased by the fact that it happened. You know, I I guess we're going to get overinterpretation of very limited summaries. Of, uh, from both sides of, of, of those calls. But, you know, Zelensky has been all along very, very careful not to criticize China um, because he clearly has, uh, I mean, he would have grounds to criticize China for, you know, as, uh, assisting Russia and getting around some of the sanctions and 
with its oil um, revenues, but um, uh, he clearly foresees a time where China can be a useful play some kind of useful role in in bringing um, Putin to the negotiating table and a settlement that could be favorable to Ukraine. And I think that that's obvious. It's very hard to think, um, you know, of which other power could restrain Russia than China, um, of which is a vassal state. So, you know, regardless of what the content of the call was, the fact that it happened is good. Um, I don't imagine if China does really want to get into some form of brokering an end to this war that Xi Jinping could imagine now would be a good time. It's about the worst possible time. The Ukrainians are not going to want to think about it till they've seen how their offensive goes. Um, And the Russians are are not going to want to think about it until their humiliation ends, which might be never. Um, So China is going to be important at some stage in the future. And I'm glad that this kind of dialogue has been opened. You know, we we make fun of how Hollywood distorts the lens and how the entertainment community distorts the lens of politics. And then I think, well, this was a phone call between a former comedian uh, and TV sitcom star uh, and a guy who for most of his life uh, in China was less famous than his wife, who was a singer. Um, uh, and so, you know, showbiz rules everywhere, Rosa. Uh, uh, I, I just thought you would probably point that out, but you might have other reactions to this. <laughs> um, right. Uh, maybe somebody could make a, a Hollywood movie based on this, and the people involved could star as themselves. Nice idea. <laughs> nobody Zel- goes see that. Zelensky, well, Zel- Zelensky's <laughs> sitcom is pretty good, actually. I have noticed that um, events don't occur as speedily in real life as they do on screen. I mean, this war is just, you know, taking forever, right? I mean, it would be over in a, in a couple of episodes if this were, if this were a movie. And, and by the way, more- everybody listening thinks the war has been going on for a year and a half and it's actually been going on for nine and a half <laughs> years. Right. So it's, right. it's slower even than that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I shared Ed's sense of, of this is a good thing. In perhaps perhaps the call came in response to was it only last week the little oopsie doopsie uh, all the little Baltic countries aren't real countries oops just kidding um, and that was embarrassing for China obviously well actually and, the and, statement and, it, by the Chinese ambassador to France was any of the former Soviet countries aren't real countries right so right, it's a right, lot more than right. Not just about, right, exactly. I mean, but it was actually, if it was in response to that, that's actually not a bad thing, right? I mean, it's a good thing if China felt like, oh, uh, that was not a good thing for somebody to say, even if we kind of think it deep in our hearts, um, wherever it is that we think in our, in our brains, our hearts, whatever. Um, that's not the kind of thing that we should be expressing. That does not sound good. And it's not the impression we want to be making to the world. I, you know, I want China to care about the impression they're making on the world. You know, we want China to care about how the Europeans feel about them. Um, that's, that's a good thing. Whatever they're actually thinking that they feel that they have a stake in appearing to be good citizens is not quite as good as being a good citizen, but it's sort of halfway there. You know, it's the hypocrisy is the homage vice pays to virtue or whatever. Um, so, so no, I, I thought it was good that the call happened both for that reason insofar as it shows that they're sensitive to that set of kind of criticism, but also just that, you know, keeping those communication channels open, Ed is absolutely right. Um, it, it uh, you know, China is probably the only country that would be capable 
of gently, in a face-saving way, pushing pushing Putin to make some concessions if necessary. It's not obviously China's not there yet, but might they get there at some point in you know three months, six months, a year? Maybe so. So you know, all in all, I thought it was a you know could it have been better? Could it have consisted of of she saying to uh, uh, Zelensky? I am so sorry about the boorish behavior of those Russians. I'm, I'm going to have a word with them and fix this. That would have been nice. That didn't happen, of course. But but I don't think anybody. I think as it was about as good as realistically we could have expected. Corey, you know, uh, Rosa said things don't happen in real life as fast as they do um, in uh, TV or movies. But but I have to say, the speed with which China has gone from kind of on the sidelines of international diplomacy to getting involved everywhere all the time, uh, even though they're not doing a great job of it, you know, as, as the reference to the, to the French ambassador, the Chinese ambassador to France story goes, um, they're, you know, everywhere. They're in the Middle East. They're in Africa. They're in Latin America. They're now getting involved in Ukraine. She is going off and meeting with different people in different places all the time. Uh, you know, he's got one of these systems where he's got a couple of foreign ministers, right? He's got a vice premier and a foreign minister, and they're all out there all the time. I, I don't think that trend is going to change. I think China as an active international diplomacy player is something new. Do you? Yeah, I think that's right, David. Um, and as uh, both you and Rosa pointed out, uh, they're not very good at it in lots of instances. The thing I loved about the French at the Chinese ambassador to France's comments is that it means Russia is also not a internationally recognized state because they are a post-Soviet state as well. Um, and so we should have put a little topspin on the ball with that one, which takes me to my broader point, which is that, um, you know, China's not very graceful as an international actor, and they don't in most instances have a very good story to tell other than to other repressive governments. Um, and yet we are leaving them so much room to pick up easy wins because we are not doing more. And let me just give you the example that makes me levitate out of my chair especially for an administration that claims it's putting diplomacy first and it's not going to lead with military, uh, with the military and American foreign policy. Every single month, the Secretary of Defense goes to Germany and gathers 50 of his counterparts to talk to the Ukrainians about what they need and figure out how to get it to them. Why isn't the Secretary of State pointedly, visibly, once a month, getting 50 counterparties together to talk about the peace that will eventually have to come in the war of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and build the international support for the outcome that we want. That actually doesn't cost us anything, and it's good diplomacy. And I don't know what Secretary Blinken's doing, but it's not that. Well, he seems to be busy doing a lot of other things, but you're absolutely right, Corey. Finish the job, finish the job, four more years, four more. No, that was not your point. Um, anyway, that was that was Joe Biden's point earlier uh, this week, and I'm going to get to that 
later. Uh, another thing that happened, Ed, however, is just happening as we're recording this, but don't tell anybody, is that the uh, president of South Korea has visited Washington. Um, and um, uh, this is clearly part of a big push on the part of the White House, the ongoing push to shift things towards the Asia-Pacific region, strengthen our core alliances in that part of the world. Um, interesting development. One of the few that I've picked up so far was in the press conference. The uh, South Korean president said that should North Korea <clears throat> attack South Korea with nuclear weapons, not only would South Korea respond, but they would. Re- the U.S. would respond with nuclear weapons, uh, which is something I don't think I've heard from a South Korean president before. Um, but uh, uh, oh yeah, um, but uh, just w- wondering what it should the average person sitting at home pay any attention to the fact that the president of South Korea and the president of the United States are meeting. Yeah, South Korea becomes more and more important as time goes on, not just because it's a more, uh, a larger economy, uh, a very successful economy than it used to be, but because of the neighborhood it's in. Uh, it's stymied by the existence of North Korea, uh, you know, the, the sort of rogue ward of China. Um, but it has also until recently been heavily stymied by the bitter legacy of um Japanese-Korean relations um, from the first half of the 20th century, the colonization of Korean peninsula by Japan, the comfort women. And that that sort of prevented Korea and Japan, South Korea and Japan, from being allies on the same page for the United States. They've now, um, they've now pretty much put that behind them. Japan has really turned a corner. It's getting much more geopolitical. Um, it's getting much more pragmatic. Um, and those sort of historic nationalist resentments seem to be giving way to a sort of clearer-eyed view of what threats they face in common. And of course, China is um, is first and foremost, uh, along with North Korea, on that list. So South Korea is getting more important treatment um, for good reasons in in Washington nowadays. Um, its its president um, Yoon Suk Yeol. Uh, is is a, a more nationalistic. He's more right wing um, than than his predecessor. Um, he's going to be more ebullient. This isn't a surprise. He's going to speak the language of fire with North Korea. Um, whether that has any impact on North Korea, I don't know. But it will probably have an impact on how China seeks to influence North Korea because the last thing China wants is uh, is, is a distraction. Um, uh, some kind of a, a military escalation on the Korean Peninsula. The only other thing, which is a very important other thing to mention about South Korea, is that it's a major semiconductor producer. Um, it looks like China is going to um, ban Micron, a, a big American semiconductor producer, um, from operations in China or restrict them. And the South Koreans want to come in and fill the gap, um, Samsung and other companies. Uh, question is, does America allow that to keep South Korea happy, but enable China to keep importing dual-use technology, or does it play hardball? And I think it's going to be the former. I think I think the U.S. is going to be accommodating with countries like South Korea because they're so very important to the broader um, alliance uh, in, a, in a context of competition, great power competition with China. 
That's an interesting and a complicated note. I love it also when you say things like speak the language of fire. Um, you know, that's and refer to that as ebulliency. Yeah, no, that's definite ebulliency. <laughs> now, uh, Rosa, as the as the parent of teenage girls, um, pres- presumably you view this all through the lens of BTS. No, um, no, no. Do you know no, BTS, no. Rosa? No. What's no. BTS? What's BTS? Oh, Jesus Christ. David, we have, no, is this some one of those teenage things that only teenage girls and you know about? That's good. <laughs> that's David, we're gonna we're gonna cross examine you. Wow, that's very hurtful and is likely to get me like No, 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 no. Banned in the state cool. of North It implies coolness. It implies coolness, part. David. Take it for the win. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. take okay. Take it for the win. Well, what do you think about South Korea's president's visit, Rosa? Just switch app things is or companies with yeah. that does some kind of little app type thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what do I think about South Korea? I think it's a nice country. I think their food is excellent. Um I, yeah, I mean, I don't know that. I mean, you you started off asking Ed, is this something that the average American, you know, needs to be paying attention to? I, I'm not sure that they do. Insofar as I don't actually think there's any new news here, although the you know to some extent the media is doing their best to make it seem like there's new news here. Um, I don't. I it's not as far as I can tell. There really isn't anything new and different um, that has just happened or is about to happen. Uh, I think you're, I think you're right. You know, we, we need South Korea. We need South Korea more and more. Um, it's becoming of increasing strategic and economic importance. Um, uh, but not, you know, letting South, letting South Korean companies take some market share from U.S. chip makers is not the end of the world for us. Uh, I don't know how that one is going to play out. Um, actually, it sounds like the South Koreans are making noises suggesting that they're willing to be flexible on that, actually. So who knows? Um, but, but I don't, I don't think there's been any significant shift, uh, happening here. And I don't, I don't take the, the ebullient, uh, statements to actually suggest anything significantly new. Well, you've got to say one thing, Corey, and that is, at least Joe Biden is like wooing the president of South Korea rather than the president of North Korea. That's plus. That's a step forward. <laughs> it is a welcome new. change from the Trump administration. I agree. Yeah. And he is also not threatening a bloody nose preemptive strike on North Korea, which uh, did damage to the U.S. South Korean relationship. I mean, I do think um, that that South Korea under its previous president was the first American ally to start noticeably hedging against American reliability during the Trump administration. So I'm delighted to see uh, Rose's conclusion that there's no news here. It's boring, satisfying international diplomacy with our friends. And that is, uh, you know, I... I wish I had a good answer to the threats North Korea poses, but I don't. And therefore, I can't come up with a better approach than what the Biden administration, before it the Obama administration, and before it the Bush administration had, which is, let's try and ignore them and hope they don't do anything really crazy. The only thing I wish we would add to that is the repeated statement, public and private, 
that if North Korea uses any of its weapons, nuclear or non-nuclear, against the U.S. or its allies, the North Korean leadership will not survive. Well, you know, one of our friends who's not here right now, David Sanger, I assumed was off having a three-martini lunch, but he has just posted about an hour ago a story on the New York Times uh, saying... Things are not inconsistent. No, that's true. And they, 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 they're not mutually exclusive by any means. U.S. and South Korea agree to cooperate on nuclear weapons. Uh, it begins, the United States will give South Korea a central role for the first time in strategic planning for the use of nuclear weapons in any conflict with North Korea in return for an agreement that Seoul will not pursue its own nuclear weapons arsenal. The uh, Both sides are calling this a big breakthrough. Uh, probably not as big a breakthrough as all that. But on the other hand, um, not a bad thing. Progress. And as as uh, uh, Corey says, uh, you know, the kind of day-to-day diplomacy you like to see. Because the best diplomacy is boring um, and doesn't make headlines uh, and doesn't involve uh, the ambassador and her husband sniffing each other's armpits either. Uh, fans of- I, think- I could have gone so long without that visual, David. Well, then or don't. You don't- our beginning of our discussion about, diplo- about the show Diplomacy. The Diplomat. Oh. Just don't yeah, watch the, the show The Diplomat, the, the Corey, diplomat, or you I'm will sorry. actually yes. have that image. Uh, just but David, how, how do you know that it doesn't involve uh, at some point um, off the record armpit sniffing? No, you know you're excellent. Come on, diplomatic <laughs> but you have to be an ambassador to know about it. Yeah, that's, yes, that's, that's true. true. You have to. We're have, just cynical journalists. Yeah, it's on a, a, you know. It's all on a need. It's a closely to, kept secret. It's all on a need to knows basis. Uh, oh, it's. Uh, all right. Um, you know, this is the point where we usually say to the public, hey. It's really time to stop this yeah, right, right. We say to the public, hey, thanks for tuning in. And from here on in, uh, there will be no more jokes like that, but that's only for our members. So for the general public, bye-bye. For the members, we'll get to the tasteful, uh, but nonetheless hard-hitting last 10 minutes of the podcast right after this short break. 